Welcome to the Longevity Week podcast, hosted by the Longevity Forum. We will be featuring podcasts all week on the theme, The Age of Resilience, which you can catch online, thelongevityforum.com. Today, Dawid Kanateahulu, co-founder of Reddington Limited and Mallow Street, who is also involved with the recently launched 10,000 Black Interns program, will be interviewing Jane Portis on six moments that matter and the financial life journeys, including COVID, of Black people in the UK. I'll leave it to you, Dawid. So I'm absolutely delighted to be interviewing fabulous Jane Portis. Jane, you spent your career in financial and professional services as a partner in the big four, and you've been most recently focused on Brexit and customer outcomes. You're the co-founder of Insuring Women's Futures, the IWF, which is a program to improve women's financial resilience. And you're the author of Risks in Life Research and the six moments that matter for improving financial life. You're a member of the Women's Business Council and you're a trustee on the Center for Aging Better. So welcome. And Jane, why don't we just start with you just talking a little bit about the business of looking at, at risk. And I know you talk about your money and your life, but let's just talk about, let's get into that and talk first about risks in life. And particularly when it comes to people who are black, how does that all kind of play out? So David, thanks very much for inviting me to talk about your money and your life and how that interplays um, into black communities. Perhaps if I can just start with a little bit of context about how I came to your money and your life. And this was really through talking to many people and initially women, where it became clear to me that people's financial wellness was as much, if not more, about their life as well as about managing their money. And further, that many of us aren't engaged or in touch or perhaps even equipped to really be able to take ownership of our financial futures. So with my background in risk management, I'm really wanting to understand the drivers of financial resilience and particularly how that addresses the financial resilience gap uh, between men and women. I decided to assess people's risks in life. And what I mean by that is their experience of education, working, family and healthy life and how life circumstances the life decisions we make, whether they're passive or active, informed or financially uninformed, and the life events that we face, such as divorce, bereavement and our financial preparedness for those, have implications for our financial future. And really what I'm thinking about there is savings, debt, pensions and home ownership. And what I was really able to see by looking at the risks in life were patterns in how these risks aggregate through the life course as part of what I call a financial life journey. And most importantly, I was able to identify six moments that matter for how people, policymakers, business, employers, and financial services firms can improve their own and society's financial resilience. And I can't wait to get into the six moments that matter. But you were telling me, Jane, that you're about to publish a sequel to the Insuring Women's Futures Manifesto. And that then got us talking about how this might impact black people's financial futures. It just let's talk about that a little bit. Tell me how, you know, then, then what happened. Yeah, so we formed Insuring Women's Futures about five years ago now. And almost a year ago, we launched a manifesto called Living a Financially Resilient Life in the UK. And that really set out recommendations in the moments that matter to improve women's and society's financial resilience. But then, of course, COVID uh, has happened to us all. And so what I really wanted to do is to actually look at how 
COVID overlaid onto women's financial lives and what that meant for the moments that matter. So we're about to publish an update to our original manifesto, which is really about the six moments that matter for building back fairer financial futures. And what has become even more clear to me as I've done that work, and really through the Black Lives Matter movement, is that through doing that gender analysis, there are much deeper intersectional issues. And it's really important that sort of our approaches to tackling these issues are appropriately nuanced. So let's get into the moments that matter. And specifically, talk to us about some of the key issues that face black people in the UK that we need to address and that we really need to get, you know, that we really need to get on top of, particularly in the light of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, so what I should say at first, though, is what I'm going to talk about is based on an initial review of what well, is, is available national and survey data. But obviously, I'm very conscious sitting here as a white woman that I don't have the lived experience of, of black people in the UK, which is sort of why, David, we, we said that we'd sort of work together on this and explore it further in the future. Um, but what I should say is just to context, what I'm going to say is that there are some very distinct features that emerge from this analysis in black people's financial risks in life. But they they don't all apply to the generality of the black community who may be more represented through my wider uh, risks in life work as well. And some of the issues that I'll talk about are very much around sort of life circumstances. Others are to do with inclusion and bias and legal and social systems. But critically, one key point for us all to take away is that we can all take better control of our financial lives by being more engaged in our money and our life. And as for the moments, and I'll go through the moments um, shortly and and highlight some of the, the key themes, what I should say is that most of us will experience these moments that matter, but actually we'll experience them in different ways and at different life stages, really, depending on our personal financial life journey. For example, sort of the timing around when we enter relationships and have families can vary. We can we can start families when we're young or old. But nevertheless, the moments sort of aggregate together with the risks in life to form our personal financial life journey. And perhaps before I start um, introducing some of the moments, I should just preface this with the population demographic. So bearing in mind as I'm talking that what we're talking about in the UK is sort of ethnic minorities are around 14% of the population and within that black communities around uh, 4, 4%. And of course, we need to reflect this alongside our sort of lived experience. So firstly, what I thought I'd talk about is sort of the moments that matter in early life and what's happening at home and in our families. So the first moment that matter is, I call it growing up, studying and requalifying. And this is really recognising that the skills we have impact our financial livelihoods. And also that as we live the 100 year life, many of us will need to reskill to take uh, time out. And also, as we've seen, many women take time out uh, for children. And what um, the analysis shows me is that many young black people are struggling to attain in education systems. And and this is evident in all qualification levels and consistent with young people generally. Young black people are facing mental health issues at that time. Now, while 
generally it's young women who are, who are experiencing the greatest mental health risk in black communities it's young men and who are and it's young men who are most prone to suicide there are also positive signs emerging though in terms of the proportion of black students attending university which is actually higher than the average about 10 percent but actually black students are generally achieving about 22% lower in degrees than white university students and a one and a half times higher dropout rate. So while it's really positive um, that higher proportions of black students relatively are studying STEM, more broadly, there are some gender gaps around STEM students and also there are some gaps in black people's work digital skills. And these are really more uh, heightened for women. So. Jane, I mean, obviously, we've got the context of the pandemic that as a backdrop. Just talk to us a little bit about that and what you think can be done, because everything you've highlighted there yeah. is something that I'm all too familiar with. You know, I sit on the, the board of a university, and this I, these are all the issues that, that are coming up now. So t- give us a bit of a, some context and just give us your sense of what you think can be done. Yeah, so I think firstly, you know, we look to the wider sort of household context and actually one of the key features that comes through household analysis that is that sort of almost a third of black children grow up in low income households and one fifth actually in poverty. And consistent with sort of national averages, there are also gendered roles at home and also in girls and boys, a future aspirations. And alongside many concerns, one of the key issues, as I'm sure you're aware from your university roles, lack of role models for young black men and women is a key factor to to attainment. And as you know, sort of launching your sort of intern programme, COVID creates additional pressures that risk higher relative impact for, for black students that are you know, more likely to be affected by cancellations of apprenticeships, graduate jobs and internships. And and similarly, as we'll come on to, um, sort of many black workers are affected in shutdown sectors. And this makes these digital skills uh, really key. So I think there's really an opportunity in this moment, really, to support black students to stay in education, to transition into the workplace, while also levelling up black graduate pay, which is markedly less, and at the same time supporting black workers with, with digital skills. So that's the first moment, life moment, if you like. But then there, there are more. So let's jump into the second. Yeah, so actually just sort of following through what I was talking about, about the sort of the context that sits behind some of these academic challenges, I want to now move on and talk about love, actually. So relationships, I call this relationships making up and breaking up. And what's become really clear to me in my work on financial life is that how we form relationships and how we conduct them financially and the outcome of those relationships, how all that really impacts our financial futures. and. There are some particular trends that emerge um, that are quite different also in black households. And perhaps if I give an overview of what's happening in relationships just generally in the UK, you know, still around two thirds of us marry, but we're marrying later and actually we're cohabiting more and cohabitation rates are dramatically rising, including uh, for families. However, in black households, the dominant household type is lone parents, that's a quarter, and almost one-fifth uh, with dependent children. 
Then, as we've all become much more aware during the pandemic, this very difficult and increasing issue that we've experienced in lockdown of uh, domestic abuse, and this does seem to be more prevalent in certain black, and especially in mixed black. Uh, households and consistent with sort of the wider national data women are impacted most and up to 20% of women in mixed relationships and 10% uh, of women in black relationships are experiencing uh, domestic abuse. This is a big big deal Jane just again in the context of the pandemic and just in terms of what what we can do this is what what they call i think a wicked problem yeah, just no obvious answer but i mean i know you've done a lot of research around this what do you, you know, give us some context yeah what can we do yeah so i mean again then looking looking what sits behind this what we see is that you know black households make up 15 percent of ethnicities living in the 10 percent of most deprived areas um in the uk and then when you start to overlay onto that sort of the dynamics of household wealth and home ownership and debt and savings then there's a very different fact pattern emerging so for example you know 33%, which is very high, of white people have uh, no savings, but actually it's almost double for the black uh, households. And what I would say also, if you bring a lens of the pandemic, um, the pandemic is having a profound effect on relationships. I mean, as has, has, has been reported and leading to increased anxiety amongst couples, family and financial stress rising abuse in lockdown. And we've also seen an uptick in divorce inquiries and potential maintenance reductions. And alongside this, we've seen, obviously, people's weddings being cancelled, leading to potentially greater cohabitation. And, and all of this affects uh, black households too. And so, you know, when we reflect back from this, what we can see is that it's going to be really important to find ways particularly to support young black women and, and young black mothers to help them build more secure home environments which also support their families and and also we were aware that the government is taking forward the domestic abuse bill as well and this is a more general theme and obviously uh, roles for employers and on wider society and financial services to who all play a part in implementing aspects of that legislation. And more broadly in the UK, I would just say that, you know, it's evident from my work that, you know, couples are, we, don't, we just don't talk about money really. And there's a very low understanding, about 46% of people, this is, who aren't really familiar with the different financial and legal rights that relate to marriage cohabitation and and I think that really also extends into single parenthood and this really leads to some very big financial imbalances uh, between men and women. And if that's the second of your six moments that matter the third I think is around parenthood right and and even broader, more broadly than that becoming a carer so talk to us about that moment. Yeah, so this moment is really building on relationships, but putting it in the context of family life and really looking at what's going on and how this impacts work and money in particular. And, and this moment is looking at who's doing the caring and how that plays out in, into financial lives at home. 
So look, um, what the general data shows is that women in the UK are by far the majority of child and elderly carers for, let's frankly, let's face it, no pay and low pay. And black women are no exception to this. And in fact, many black women, uh, like women generally, are working in caring sectors, social care, health and elderly care. And notwithstanding this high proportion of lone parents amongst black communities, black families, it seems, are less likely to access free childcare. So around 73% uh, compared to around 80% for white families and are also less likely to rely on family care support. And consistent with sort of the national statistics, black women do seem to bear the burden of sort of domestic and childcare work. Although what is encouraging actually when you're looking at sort of different ethnicities and, and men's roles is that black men do appear to be taking a, a greater role in aspects of that. But actually this whole aspect of parenthood and caring actually this is very gendered and it leads to this what I call the motherhood and caring penalty and actually if you look at lifetime earnings women in the UK about 59% of men throughout their lives and this is largely due to caring gender pay and also part-time work and actually what's interesting is you know generally part-time work in the UK is leading to doubling of between the full and part-time gender pay gap but actually Black women seem to less likely to be um, in part-time work and either working full-time or actually not economically active. And this is particularly coming through with being about the reason for why about 25% of black African women are economically active. But it's not just all about children. It's, you know, with our ageing population, as I know you know well, David, that sort of caring for the elderly is becoming a feature of many of our lives. And our women have about 58% of informal carers. And this seems to be being borne out in black communities too. And also who seem to have less access to elderly care. And that's for a variety of reasons, but it does mean that a lot of care is being done uh, within the family. And then presumably, Jane, this with the backdrop of COVID-19 again, just makes life even more challenging. And so in that context, again, you know, what do you think we do? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, obviously, COVID is creating challenges for many of us and, and men and women. So when you analyse what's going on in life, actually, in particular, mothers and families are particularly affected in the pandemic and, and women and mothers impacted through job loss, furlough, and, and also highlighting some of the fragility of some of the sort of foundations of women's economic progress. Women have really borne the domestic and childcare and homeschooling burden and actually BAME women and not all of the data is available sort of segmented to just black women but BAME women are saying that they're struggling to cope with pressures at home in fact one third more than the white women um, who say this far more than white men and actually parents and families are really affected profoundly financially through the pandemic and are are saying they're expecting to be in greater debt and in particular sort of single parent families and and young moms facing financial hardship. But there is some clear ways in which we can establish support and need to establish support uh, in particular for lone parents and lone black parents and this access to childcare which is a challenge and has been more so through the pandemic 
pandemic. But actually, there's a really vital role for employers here. I often talk about fair, financially inclusive, flexible working that promotes shared parenting for men and women. So really leveling up between the genders and also supports lone mothers and parents balance work at home and embedding flexibility, particularly also for abuse victims whose work is profoundly affected by the pandemic and also older workers who have health concerns. And just more broadly, though, I think I just want to come back to this issue uh, of caring. I know that you, you, David, have got your partnership for change and, and so on. There is something about having a national conversation about caring. Who does it? How it's rewarded? Who needs it? And who pays for it? Because those who are doing the care and those who are likely to need it more later, perhaps less likely, uh, less able to be able to pay for it. So a much broader societal issue. Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely on it. And yeah, let's move to the fourth moment that matters. And then maybe, yeah, I'll just come on to the context again of, of COVID-19 and, you know, what we can do. Let's, let's move to number four. Yeah, so actually now really what I want to move on to is talking about working life and then retirement. So this moment's really about entering and re-entering the workplace, reflecting how starting work is an opportunity to become financially independent and to for people to start to plan financial life. But also, as we're all living the 100-year life increasingly, workplaces are changing, our work-life patterns are changing, many of us will take time out, need to develop new skills, also looking after children. So re-entering the work is also a time to build solid financial foundations and you know just i really want to reflect here on sort of the experience coming through in the data of black people's access to the workplace so what we see in the data is that young black students are do find it more difficult to access the workplace take longer earn less but actually just generally the employment rate for black people is actually almost 10% lower than the average and lowest levels of self-employment and also the highest levels of unemployment. And and pay gaps exist. And these are actually really complex because they break down sort of across black communities. In particular, the ethnicity pay gap is highest in London at 24%. And that's where half of black people actually live. But there are different characteristics for black African and black Caribbean, and also British born and black immigrants. So this sort of requires quite a bit of unpacking. But in principle, you know, the pay gaps are around about 8% for black African, 4% for black Caribbean, and are much higher for mixed black communities. And there's also a gender gap, and that varies between black African and black Caribbean. But the point I also wanted to make was actually almost half of black households are earning less than £500 a week. And so that sort of goes back to what I was saying before. Yeah, I mean, half black households earn less than five hundred pounds a week. Well, but you've given this some thought. I know, the, you know the whole business of entering and re-entering the workplace, particularly now in a time of the virus, and you know the way that's hit young people and especially young women's jobs. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, and, and what, you know what we can do? Yeah, so it's uh, not only hit young people and women and mothers, but also it's had an impact on sort of fame, ethnic minority communities. But you know. One of the key things actually is 44% of black workers work in public admin education and health and actually more in London. So this also means that they are serving as key workers. So it's not just about job loss, it's actually key workers and greater uh, COVID exposure, but also because of this fact pattern around employment and the type of work, higher proportion of ethnic minorities and black uh, communities are sort of 
more likely to experience debt through the pandemic. And that also has implications uh, longer term, just like the gender really around earnings and also pensions. So there's a few things really that I think we can be focusing on, which is really in the workplace, levelling up and creating workplace opportunities for nearly qualified sort of ethnic minority black students equally to more broadly. And also, you know, one thing we talk a lot about is pay gaps. You know, you can't act if you don't have the data to be able to measure what you're doing and the impact of that. So, you know, actually calculating the gender and ethnicity and black pay gaps to help us make sure that the policies and practice that we adopt as we return to work or as workplaces develop redundancy or job creation programs, really bearing that in mind so that inclusive approaches are really adopted that also cater to black lives too. And then, of course, you've got your your fifth moment that matters, which is really around later life, the whole business of planning for and getting into retirement, which is just, this is huge. And particularly for black people, this is an area that just always comes up. You talk about financial planning, and this is always an issue. Yes. I mean, obviously, you're the pensions guru as well. But what you really see here is that, you know, financial and pensions engagement and awareness is generally... Uh, low and of course pension systems are pretty complex these days as we've moved more towards defined contribution schemes but also bearing in mind you know what's driving that lack of engagement sometimes and we experience different financial life journeys and it's really important that we engage people on sort of money and pensions matters that's really commensurate with the financial lives uh, that they're leading and it's very different between the genders and it's very different between different communities of people and in fact you know one of the pieces of of data on this is that you know 65 percent of BAME people in the UK feel they need more financial knowledge but 70 percent feel undervalued as consumers which is really making this really relatable to people's life and I've already mentioned that you know black people generally through the data have much better household wealth and and greater debt but One thing I really want to highlight here is how low paid work really impacts pensions and people's eligibility for automatic enrolment pensions. And like for women, there's a risk that many black workers uh, will miss out. So Jane, just take us through, you know, later life planning. There's this big, very significant gender pensions gap. And particularly, again, with all the issues that we have around employment and you know, people being furloughed in the world of COVID-19, it's having a profound effect on earnings and has implications clearly for resilience generally. I mean, what are your thoughts on all of that? I guess, first of all, I would just highlight that there's some broad context to this, which is there is a very sizable gender gap. So up to five to one for married couples and men and women who are retiring age 65. But also there is a black um, retirement income gap of around 27% uh, compared to white retirement income. And this is much bigger when you start to look at ethnic minority females' pension gap. But clearly, the pandemic is having a profound effect on earnings, but this then translates into resilience issues in later life. And so, therefore, with black people earning less, like women, this 
means that they may be at greater risk of falling out of automatic enrolment. So here, look, again, I'm a great believer in using the data to inform what you do and actually looking at pension contribution gaps and where they're emerging help sort of employers to really identify how best to engage with the workforce to inform them about pensions. And more generally, sort of the earnings eligibility limit, as I've mentioned, around automatic enrolment and perhaps opportunities to look at that to improve access for those on low pay. And then, Jane, also, you know, the last, the big business of health and not being well and ultimately dying. If ever there was a moment that mattered, this is it. Why don't you just talk to us about this last moment that matters? Yeah, so this is really all about being prepared in our lives for these difficult life events and in particular that relate to our health. And bearing in mind, for many of us, we will experience our own health risks, particularly as we live longer, but also we need to bear in mind our financial dependencies, so those who are dependent on us and those who we are dependent on in in really looking to our sort of secure financial futures. So look, there's some real differences that emerge between ethnic uh, black black communities and sort of more generally in the UK. And so I'll highlight a few points here. So, you know, black women are five times more likely to die in childbirth than white women, twice as likely to be diagnosed with advanced breast cancer. We know that young men are suffering high mental health suicide risk and also have uh, reported highest rates of, of drug use and dependency. Also, what the data talks to is black men having a higher risk of dementia but less likely to be uh, diagnosed and there's a whole range of factors that lead to that it's difficult to point to one specific issue at least now and um, but people also bearing in mind that people who live in deprived areas has a big impact on their life expectancy as well and I've talked already about how some of ethnic communities are not accessing end-of-life care needs in quite the same way and again there's a a fact pattern uh, behind that and this often leads quite high proportions of black people to think that their health is not as protected as may be the case for white people but as I said there's a whole a range of circumstantial and wider issues that lay behind that data. Obviously, there is a link to our financial well-being and our health well-being. So in terms of who's most affected, you know, how does this then play out for for people who are black and men, women, the whole gender lens mm-hmm. like that? If we go back to the beginnings of COVID, then what we've seen in terms of those people who have been most impacted by the virus itself and in terms of actually loss of life, uh, then it's certainly been older men. But actually this has developed, what has become clear is that actually black communities have been far more impacted. So black African men, 2.7 times more than, than white men, black Caribbean women, two times more than white women. Actually, over time, if you go back to, say, April time, it was nearly one and a half times men to women in terms of the COVID death rate. Actually, that's narrowing now. And this is really because of key workers. And of course, that also involved black women too. The other thing that's come through is, obviously, I talked about maternal health risk being higher for black women. And that's also come through as being a, a much greater risk through coronavirus but actually just going back to what i see in financial life generally many of us 
really aren't considering how our healthy life impacts our financial life and perhaps protecting ourselves, saving for a rainy day, planning for the end of life. And this has been evident through COVID-19. Of course, what I have to contextualise is that not everybody's able to put in place those mechanisms to protect themselves as well. But actually, what we've also seen is increasing sort of GoFundMe to support funeral costs and and difficult issues uh, like that. But one thing I just want to sort of perhaps finish on a little bit is just think about how we all engage and make sure that we sort of support ourselves as best we can with insurance and financial products. And and I guess one thing that's come through in all my work, if there's one thing to remember, it's, you know, we've got to talk about money more and engaging in our financial life journeys. But some previous work that I did looked at how couples are engaging in financial products and insurance and to what extent they're considering how their relationship and life circumstances are impacting on their product needs for example, whether life, health and pensions should be in joint and single names. And what I was able to find there was that half of people really aren't thinking about that. And this leads to perhaps some other outcomes. And so this is one example is that uh, nearly 70% of pension annuities are single life only. So if we're seeing in the pandemic that older men are dying, there's potential implications there for the older ladies that are left behind potentially in difficult circumstances. So one key thing is here really about engaging in our sort of life circumstances and appreciating the difference in our relationship status and our family structures when we are entering into financial products. And so there's a real opportunity as well here um, for the financial services uh, sector, not only to support vulnerable customers, and there's been a huge focus on that, and particularly on the regulator, and a lot of proactivity around that, but also how we can embed financial well-being information uh, into customer journeys. But bearing in mind, we have to get this balance of guidance and advice. Jane, thanks so much. I love the way you wove all that together because, you know, there's none of these single moments that matter live by themselves, right? They all impact each other. And it's really this rich tapestry that you've woven. So thank you. And this is all in the context, of course, of the Longevity Forum and Longevity Week. And I just want to say thank you so much to them for the kind invitation to come on here and talk and to look at this issue. It's one of these big wicked problems that we have to deal with and question of how all these moments that matter impact people who are black. We never really look at this stuff and we never kind of get in, get under the hood. But you've helped us to do that today, Jane, and really want to thank you for doing that. And thank you, Laura, for setting it all up. Much appreciated indeed. Thank you. This broadcast has been brought to you by the Longevity Forum as part of Longevity Week 2020. We are very grateful to our sponsors, Juvenescence, Bill Dickinson, and Burnbray. For more podcasts, visit our website, thelongevityforum.com, or follow us on Twitter, longevity underscore forum. <laughs>